Good morning. Good morning. We are so blessed to have that team remind us of the story we're living in. And uh, it's so good to gather in worship. And I know some of you are gathering online, maybe uh, some in the parking lot, but to, to just be reawakened to the story that we're living in is one of the reasons that we need to worship God constantly, but also corporately together. Um, and when we're in transition, that's often one of the tests of our faith. We're in this transition on so many different levels, uh, moving into a school year, moving into a new church year. We trust, praise God, that um, the limitations of COVID and other things have been lifted. And uh, there's nothing better we can do in our gathering than let's bow together uh, and submit all that is going on and all that is ahead in what feels like, it feels like a lot of times New Year's should be September, right? With the start of school sometimes. But um, let's bow before God and commit this whole season to him. Uh, Our great God and heavenly father, We thank you that um, the story that we are living in, if we are your children, if we have faith in Jesus Christ, uh, is a story of certainty, a story of uplift, a story of your continued work in us until you transform us completely, uh, and a story that you invite us to take part in so that we not only have a community of friends and people, but we also have the kind of relationships that are participating in the greatest mission with the greatest message that we could ever give out to the world, um, that Christ has conquered sin, that he has conquered our own sin, uh, and that he is going to reign and rule, and that sin will not even have victory over an eyelash or a particle of this creation, but that you will renew it all and restore it for your glory. Um, We ask, Lord, as we stand in this threshold and the tensions of still living a little bit in summer, a little bit in the rhythms of the school year, Um, we ask, O Lord, for your mercy and grace that we might lean into you, Um, that we might not only lean into you, but live out of the resources you've given us in Jesus Christ. Uh, We thank you for the connections you've given us as a church uh, with key ministries doing your work. And this morning, Lord, we pray for the ministry of El Centro. We pray for your protection, Lord. Some live with a kind of vulnerability, uh, even as youth, a vulnerability to death because of drug wars and unrest that is going on all around them. Lord, we can't even imagine what that's like to compose their daily lives in that setting. And so we ask, O Lord, that you would encircle them, especially encircle those who are leading, giving care, standing in that gap. Jesus, would you stand in the void of everything that they need? Uh, And would you enable us to be Uh, those who not only resource that ministry, but who allow them to resource us with what it means to walk in faith when the very foundations of order seem destroyed. Lord, um, we ask, Lord, as we commence a new ministry year, that it would not simply be renewed activity on our part, but Lord, that you might renew our expectation, our awakening, our capacity, and our hunger and appetite to walk with you. Lord, thank you there is not a peak in the Christian life that then we recede from, but that you are changing us. However many years we've walked with you, whatever age we're in, whether we're brand new, whether we're exploring, whether we've walked with you for decades, you are changing us from one degree of glory to another, and we pray that there would be increase in our lives 
that there would be greater wholeness in relationships, that there would be greater vigor and health and life, that there would be steps of conversion from people who have walked out of indecision to decisively give themselves to Jesus Christ, that there would be steps of renewed commitment and steps of brand new commitment. And we look to you, Lord, because you were the one who your word says calls us to walk in the newness of life. And so, Lord, we take all of the noise and all of the uh, competing demands and we ask that they might bow so that we might hear your voice prevailing over all. And we pray, Lord, um, that this coming ministry year would be one where we know that your spirit is leading us in triumph in Christ, working in us uh, in uh, the reality of life and its continued struggles and the fact that we do not yet live in the place uh, where all things are as they're meant to be, but that we are moving to that place and that you are using us as your instruments. Uh, We pray now that you would enable us to hear your word, Um, to respond to it in truth uh, and for it to inform our lives and our stories in Jesus' name, amen. In this series, The Why, we're gonna look this morning at why we have recovery, what is celebrate recovery, but why we're all in the same boat of recovery. What does that mean? And we're gonna look at Romans chapter seven uh, as a key grounding uh, for what the journey in the Christian life is. Once you are a Christian, uh, and C.S. Lewis put it this way, he said that um, God makes it very clear uh, that if you become a Christian, God is going to bring you to perfection, uh, and he will have nothing less. And so we need to understand the cost of that and the journey of that is dealing with that, uh, sometimes in the midst of conflict. And this passage that I'm going to read to you from Romans 7 presents to you arguably, again, the most fruitful and holy servant of God in the New Testament. And yet he describes an ongoing struggle uh, in his flesh. Uh, And and I would just say this, this is the struggle that belongs to believers. If you don't have any struggles, uh, that's a sign actually of more alarm than having some kind of struggle. Uh, And Paul identifies that sin has an ally in his heart, Sin is seeking to create a beachhead and then to grab hold of the citadel of his his mind and heart and then take the whole continent of his person. But thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, he fights this battle from victory, from the victory that Christ is certain to bring him. So let's hear now the word of God. You can follow along in the screen from Romans chapter seven. And again, the word of God read is always the most important thing that I or any preacher will speak in your presence. So let's give attention to the word of God. We know that the law is spiritual, uh, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. 
So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature a slave to the law of sin. This text teaches that we, if you're a believer in Christ, you are in a recovery program. <laughs> you're in the recovery of the essence of who you are made to be like Jesus Christ. And um, this passage also tells us that all of us are in a recovery program because we've all had an intervention from the outside, and that intervener is Jesus. Uh, and we've received an ultimate intervention from him. He says, who gives me the victory? He says, but Jesus Christ gives me the victory. So the battles that we are fighting, the skirmishes we have uh, with our own sin, with our hurts, with our habits, with our hangups, with our relapses um, in this Christian life, um, they do not have the final word. And we are fighting not for victory, but we are fighting from a certain victory uh, that will take place. And the first thing we see in this text is that in the best of people, the best of Christians, there is an inner conflict. In fact, it's a bit of a warning if you don't have a sense of conflict. Um, if there is nothing um, uh, going on. Uh, if, you, uh, if you have trouble with that, there was a discipleship course called the Sonship Discipleship Course that my wife and I took and taught for a few years. And uh, one of the ways that course helped you realize the discipleship struggle in your heart is it said it gave us an experiment for a week. And it said for one week we're to have zero tolerance for these sins. It said, for, and, and we were to enlist each other in our marriages, among our friendships. And it was said, do not allow yourself to complain even a little bit. Not about the weather, not about the inflation, gas price, no complaining. Then it said, also, do not allow yourself to run anyone else down, even a little bit. No negativity uh, about other people, even a little bit. Uh, the third thing was, no excuses. You're not allowed to make it, if, if you're late, you're not allowed to say traffic or whatever, you just, you just apologize. So you wind up apologizing uh, instead of doing what we're all more familiar with with a defense attorney. And um, the goal of that whole exercise <laughs> was to cause us to realize how desperate we were for an intervention. <laughs> this morning, if you aren't aware of some um, habit or hang up or pattern of life that you need the victory over, uh, I wanna suggest to you that maybe the issue you have is that your pride is out of control and that your pride is what you really must struggle against. Because uh, if you are in the battle, you, you will know that, that, that there is something. And so whatever that is, um, it is ultimately a battle against sin. And here's, here's the glorious thing. The end result is that he, Christ is going to scrub all of the defects out of our life, still leave our personalities intact, but cause us to be a perfect reflection of him. <laughs> Isn't that incredible news? that he is going to make us the absolute perfect vision and version of ourselves that he had in mind. 
And the reality is, the path along the way is not just this path of this upward progress all the way. I know we, we all like that, right? We all like to, the idea of thinking that I'm just getting better and better, and my performance is getting better, and that, but this is not true. Paul found that within his own heart, there was a sabotage that could take him at the very moment that he was wanting to do the most good, and it would come in, and it would, it would contravene, and it would take him captive at the very moment that he was seeking to move forward. I would just say that if this is true of Paul, what encourages me, uh, if this is true of Paul, then, then I dare not be discouraged by the conflict. Uh, and in fact, Paul says that this is what the law's purpose uh, was basically to secure in us an idea of what is right uh, because we are so fickle-hearted that um, we can easily change the standards along the way. But he said that the law can't transform us. The law is, again, it's like James says, it's the mirror we look into um, that can show us the defects, um, but it's, it's not the basin that we wash in. Um, it, it's not what we put on to improve. And so we're, we're battling against, against sin itself. And it has its manifestation in, in smaller battles. But I would just say this, um, pick any one of those things, not allowing yourself to complain at all, not allowing yourself to run anybody else down, not making any excuses, and you will rally the resistance of your heart. You will expose it. You will flush it out of the grass. Um, because when we have a zero tolerance, that is when we've really, we've really begun this. So, you know, sometimes the word of God annoys us, right? <laughs> Any of you experience that? <laughs> People say like, pastor, I didn't agree with your sermon today. It's like, well, that's fine. I read the Bible a lot of times and struggle to agree with it, right? <laughs> so here are the things that I want to just confess to you that annoy me about this passage, but I think are true. Uh, first of all, it annoys me that things can turn sour in my life on a dime. It annoys me that things can move from Sunday, which I think for most of us is an expansion of like good spirituality in our lives, to Monday where we are about as carnal as a goat. We are just, <laughs> we are in, 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 we are in the ditch. So things can turn sour on the dime. The second thing that annoys me is the subtlety of the, the, what Paul here calls his sinful nature or his flesh that hides within him. And you may have noticed in this text, Paul talks about it is not me, but it is sin within me. It is not me, but it is sin within me that does this. And he's not making excuses for it, but, but he's, he's distinguishing himself. He's saying, this is not who I am. Uh, but it's still there. Uh, and it is right there with us. And it means, this is the third thing that annoys me, it means that yesterday's gains in my spiritual life never catapult me into a sin-proof, danger-free zone. I want a kind of progression This is just getting better and better in every day, every day that I move forward in Christ. But my Christian life is more like uh, a yo-yo going up a set of stairs and the stairs are icy <laughs> and I fall a lot. That is more the expectation because our Christian life is such that we, we may get um, a sense of mastery over an area of life for a section and then we're put in a different circumstance that triggers our flesh and all these responses. Anybody relate to that? <laughs> it, it's, 
And that is not something we're, made, we're meant to be discouraged about, but we're to say this is part of the ongoing struggle. <laughs> because the ultimate transformation is to not just make us free of our habits, hurts, and hang-ups, but it's to use those habits, hurts, and hang-ups to make us more like Jesus. And there is a difference. You know, there, someone who has accomplished a victory or transformation through their own self-effort can be one of the most insufferable people to be around, right? <laughs> They, they are the new person who has given up, who has accomplished, who has, maybe they've decluttered, uh, maybe they have uh, lost weight, uh, there is some external kind of thing, and they have all the answers, that, but they, they have done that. As opposed to someone who knows that that is not those things, the, and let me just say this, the things we struggle with and have not overcome in our life, just like the prayer requests that have not been answered, may be the very thing that Christ is most interested in using to keep us close to him. I, I remember a, a pastor who um, told me that in his study, he had someone who was a very, very well-known uh, leader. You would know their name if I mentioned it to you. And unbeknownst, I don't think this secret ever got out. They've since died. But they lived um, a life of such uh, lack of self-control in all kinds of areas. They, they died a premature death. It was kind of covered up. Um, but uh, they were continually being treated for all of these things that were, uh, and, and the pastor said to them, he said, your problem is that you've not yet reached bottom. <laughs> Despite all of those things, this person had never reached bottom. And, and reaching bottom is one of the greatest graces. So those are the things that, that annoy me about this text because I, I wish that things couldn't, wouldn't turn sour on a, on a dime. I wish my flesh was more obvious and not more subtle so I could detect it. I wish that yesterday's gains really were solid and I could rely on them. But here are the things that encourage me. And I hope they encourage you. First of all, my struggles are in no way unique to me. Every single one of us has a shadowy, dark self that lurks in the background. It is not ultimately who we are. When Paul describes delighting in the law of God, he says, it is the spirit, it is not me, it's the spirit. He doesn't say that. He says, I delight in the law, right? He says, I'm doing these good things, but in the, the bad things, sin is right there with me. He's, he's saying, this is, this is that shadow self. And it's encouraging to say that this is part of the regular struggle of a believer. Uh, if you are not a believer in Christ, you may be discouraged and depressed about where you are in life, but you don't have the same kind of conflict of spirit and flesh. Uh, the second thing that encourages me, and I hope it encourages you in this realism, is the remedy for our struggles is constantly available to us. And that remedy is Jesus. And that self-distrust, which is part of what this passage calls us to. It calls us to a kind of um, self-distrust that we don't trust our own arm of power and strength to deliver us. Um, that self-distrust is not depressing, it's simply humbling. The gospel teaches us there is a difference between being humbled and being depressed. Um, a proud person can be depressed. 
because I ought to have better, I ought to do better, I ought to accomplish this. But a humble person can be both content and joyful. And once we acknowledge these things, we're put into a group of people that can pursue these things with us. And, and we realize those, those conflicts. So on, on, the, on the trivial, we may say, we, we all wanna be uh, more healthy. Maybe we have a certain ideal weight may have been brought to us, broadcast to us from the world, not from Christ. But we wanna lose weight and we also wanna eat Briar's ice cream, at least I do. <laughs> Which one do I want more? Which one is more beautiful to me? Well, when I'm... <laughs> <laughs> always it's on it's on video it feels so good it's it and and when i am and the recovery movement captures it well when i am hungry angry lonely and tired halt is what it says when i'm hungry angry lonely and tired i am set up to relapse into virtually any kind of sin that i've ever indulged in just wear me down enough um and, and so there's the question is really not whether I have both desires, but it's which one is more beautiful to me? Which one is more beautiful to me and how can I transfer that? And so here's, one that, here's an example that's not so trivial. I love my wife and she's my closest friend and we've cultivated a great uh, partnership and relationship, but I wanna tell you, um, I wanna have a good marriage and I wanna be a good husband to her, but if she has wronged me or if there's a conflict, I wanna have a good marriage, but I also wanna nurse a grudge and not forgive. I was amazed at this after we, when we first got married and really in the intensity of relationship. How like I preach forgiveness and the need to repent all the time and I would find it difficult to repent. <laughs> um, I wanna main my pride and not apologize without trying to justify myself. I, I want a good marriage, but I want a sense of pride in being right all the time. Um, uh, and here, here if it, you know, here's the thing. If I talked to a marriage counselor who did marriage counseling seminars and they were very helpful, I thought. Uh, and he, I asked him to come to uh, our church again and he said, I don't do that anymore because I found that what I was doing was arming married couples with techniques that then they could use those techniques against each other and they didn't work. He says, what I do now is I try to bring people to a sense of, a humbling sense of the gospel so um, we can puncture the real, uh, the deadly thing in relationships and in marriage and that is if you think that uh, your mate owes you more than you owing them, you will not be fun at home. <laughs> You will not be fun to live with and you will not have a chance of having a good marriage if you think that you're the bargain and they got the bargain. You, and, and, and here's the problem. We would never wanna bring that out to light, right? That is just such an ugly thought. I'm the bargain, they're not the bargain, they got a bargain, whatever. But that track is being beamed into our lives 24 seven by a radio station directly from hell. <laughs> it's, it's, it's the big lie. So again, I want to be a force for the kingdom of God in Christ, but I also want a life of endless pleasure and comfort, some power and influence, but no responsibility. Those things don't go together, but they're a conflict. 
Uh, and so when we expose the conflict, we get over a, a kind of fake spirituality and, and we say, all right, I'm calling it out. And, and this is what Paul does. He says that when I would do good, he doesn't say lesser good is with me. He says evil is right there with me. Uh, that that choice uh, presents it to us. And it gets reinforced by habit. Um, habit drills caverns into the brain and rivulets into the brain. And you know where, where there are rivulets that then when the, when the water comes, that's where it flows. Uh, there was, uh, I've been tremendous research into the devastating effects of pornography uh, in the psychobiological area. And a professor of uh, Wheaton College actually measured what happens uh, when a person subjects themselves to pornography is it actually creates pathways into the brain uh, at which things fall. And this, this is true. I would say most sins, they are creating pathways. It's why we have to be very careful what we give ourselves to because it stays with us longer than we think it does. And, and this is why there are more people who have never looked at pornography than people who have only looked at pornography once. There are more people who have never been drunk than have only been drunk once. There are more people who have never eaten chocolate cake for breakfast than people who've only eaten it once. And let me just throw this one in here. There are more people who have never said we are Penn State than people who've only said it once. <clears throat> I'm fairly new to Pennsylvania. It is still annoying. Um, sorry. If we didn't go there, like, go Indiana University, Indiana. That's what I want to say. But we create paths for sin by our practice. And one of the words Paul uses when he says, I do not do what I want to do. I do what I hate. He actually uses the word practice. So he's saying, I, the apostle Paul, who loved Jesus with my all, who've been beaten, you know, and had 39 stripes uh, of being flogged for Jesus Christ. But he says, in my heart of hearts, I'm still um, susceptible to recidivism. Or, or he says, I'm, there's still a divided self that I have to do battle with and every day be looking outside of myself to Jesus Christ. And this is where it's more than just habits. You know, with, with determination and help, um, Many people are able to kick nicotine, kick sweets, kick caffeine, but no one, the Bible says, is able to, to evict sin apart from Jesus Christ. The best we can do is exchange one sin pattern for another kind of sin pattern. And if we conquer certain sins of the flesh, sins of the spirit, including the sin of pride, come in. And so Paul says, what I hate, I practice. He doesn't just say, I do it once, or I relapse once. He says, what I hate, I keep on practicing. And what happens to us is our flesh calls out to us like an old coach and says, hey, you've not been practicing. <laughs> uh, let's, let's show up for practice. And, and so when Paul's asked, what does he practice? He doesn't say, I practice evangelism or preaching or memorizing scripture. He says, I find myself practicing evil and I need to rouse myself to make the cry, who will deliver me? Who will deliver me? And how does he do it? He focuses uh, on the victory that he has in Jesus Christ. He says, thanks be to God who gives me the victory through Jesus Christ. 
and he is, he is rousing himself. He is, and, and here's one of the worst misunderstandings of this text. You can leave today and say, oh, well, so this conflict is always gonna be there. I'm always gonna be tempted, and, and, and the residual sin that I thought I'd overcome is always there. So um, the best I can do is just bemoan my weaknesses kind of lamely and say, well, this is the way God made me. I guess I'll always be this way. I'll never change. We just kind of relax into it. But one of the worst misconstruals of this whole text, Romans 7, is to content ourselves with a lame and weak discontent that mumbles a little lament about how weak we are, um, bemoans that we're out of shape, and then proceeds to loosen the elastic on our pants and pull out that half gallon of Briar's ice cream uh, and start to enjoy it and just say, well, it's just the way I am. <laughs> that, that's not what this text is doing. This text is saying that in the believer, there is a hopeful intervention that causes us to say, who is going to deliver me? <laughs> it's like we're on this island, but we're not by ourselves, and we know the rescue is on its way, and we say, and we know who the rescuer is. And we are hair-trigger ready to pray, thanks be to God who gives me victory. <laughs> And so Paul flushes this out and he brings this out into the public. And this is, this is why every church is really in an awareness that we're all in recovery program. We have a, a special well-honed recovery program uh, that goes through 12 steps. And if you know, the first step in the recovery is to say, I am powerless over my sin. That is not a, que that is not a statement that leads you to then just resign yourself to it. <laughs> But it causes you to say, but there is a higher power. Now, Celebrate Recovery is Christ-centered. And I'm so thankful for that because he is, when you think about it, there are so many of these programs that are virtually secular except for an anonymous, undefined higher power. But what higher power in the world that made us, that is the intelligence of the cosmos, is actually concerned about helping lift me out of my hurts, habits, and hangups? It's Jesus. <laughs> Uh, the, the, the shadow that the 12-step program casts so beautifully, and it originally they were written by uh, committed Christians who had discovered the depths of Jesus' concern for us in, in uh, the hot battles for our souls in those areas of habits. It's Jesus who cares. <laughs> and so protection of our anonymity is not only not necessary, it is not helpful, <laughs> Because Jesus always helped the person who came out of the crowd and said, uh, Lord, help me. Lord, I want to see. Or uh, the woman who touched the hem of his garment. It's always a person who says, I'm willing to come out of anonymity. Uh, that's one of the things that Paul does for us. He's bringing all this out of anonymity. <laughs> and I think we're actually helped that Paul doesn't share what his exact struggle is because he's saying it's, it's a blanket that fits every struggle. <laughs> And he's saying, this is, this is what Jesus, this is what Jesus accomplishes. And it is something that he has won for us rather than something that we have to fight for. I love a, a lot of the words of the, of the older hymns. The one reason I love them is they, they just like rivet truth in that I can remember. I think that the contemporary lyrics are often as deep in content 
but they're not as poetically riveting. And just one of the phrases of a hymn that I, I think I mainly sang as a child, Oh, for a Thousand Tongues to Sing, is this little refrain. It says, of Jesus, it says, he breaks the power of canceled sin. I love that phrase. He breaks the power of the sin that he canceled at the cross. He not only came to deliver me uh, so that I have the pardon of his sin, but he also breaks the power of that canceled sin. He breaks the power of the sin that I repent of. He breaks the power of the sin that I find still alluring. And it says, he sets the prisoner free. So he breaks its power and, and he sets the prisoner free. And then it says, his blood can make the foulest clean. His blood availed for me. That is such a power refrain, refrain in my heart. I don't know how that sounds to somebody who's never heard that hymn. But it's just like, he breaks the power of canceled sin. He sets the prisoner free. His blood can make the foulest clean. His blood availed for me. Uh, and this is why... Um, the great preacher Robert Murray McShane, who is a Scottish preacher, he said this about our battle with sin. He said, for every one look you take at your sin, make sure that you take 10 looks at Christ. <laughs> because if, if we're simply inward looking, we've lost the plot line of, of our development. That we've lost the plot line of the one who was going to make us as he is. And so as we're making progressive, and by, what I mean is by progressive is incremental developmental change. Most of the things we really learn and embody, they're not just given to us instantly. Like technology, you know, I just press a button. We are not pieces of technology. We are souls that God is doing a progressive work because in that progressive work, we're going to learn the lesson. So, so here's some descriptions. I think they apply really to all of us. But say, let's say you're, you're fighting negativity and you've noticed that a lot of your speech is negative. Maybe you've had a friend pointed out to you. Maybe you've had a spouse pointed out to you. Um, and you move from being a person who, who is just kind of drifting in negativity. Maybe it's a sign that there is a a kind of latent depression resting into your life that's, that's, that's coming in like an unwanted fog. And, and so someone says, you're, you're very negative lately. You seem to be pointing out all the can'ts and impossibles and uh, all the flaws and all the faults. And so you move from negativity to being a person who, first step is, I'm gonna fight negativity. And you start to catch yourself. And then out of catching yourself, you start to displace catching the negative words you're gonna say with finding a positive affirmation. And then as you move into positive affirmation, you become a person who abounds in encouragement. You've gone on a journey. You've gone on a journey. It was C.S. Lewis who I think so helpfully said, he said, Christians are not better than non-believers. I, I find this so helpful as uh, I think especially in the neighborhood that we moved from over 20 years, I encountered people who we really have come to love and we cherish and we're gonna keep in our lives who are not believers at all. And in so many categories of their lives, I'm like, they are better than I am. They are more thoughtful. They are more publicly aware of the entire neighborhood. I think of one couple. Um, I jog past the recycling bin and it's like, they are more organized at recycling. Wow, they're incredible. 
Um, and, 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 or I'll hear their tone of voice or their positivity or, or the fact that it seems like they are such a sensitive coach to their kids and not a critic. And, and I'll say like, okay, they're better than I am. And, and God has reminded me, I think partly through C.S. Lewis, partly through his spirit, he said, Bob, the goal is not to make you better than people who don't believe. The goal is to make you better than you were. So, so here's the reality. In church, we sometimes get slammed for this because uh, if there's one faith the world holds accountable to what Jesus has taught, it's they hold Christians accountable, right? <laughs> you don't usually hear people say, you're being a bad Buddhist. Um, you're being a bad New Ager, <laughs> you know? But you're being a hypocrite. You're a Christian, right? Um, and, and what Lewis says, he says, you know, sometimes the church is, has got someone who is kind of a grump, um, kind of a misanthrope. And he says, well, you know, and they're grumpier than the rest of the world. And you say, yeah, but you know what? If Jesus Christ had not invaded their life, they would have been a serial killer. <laughs> um, so he's, he's at work in them. So, so here's the progression of change from one degree of glory to another. Um, you come to Christ and you were kind of a complete misanthrope. You just didn't like people. Uh, and um, you progress from being a complete misanthrope who hates people to becoming a grump. Well, there's a little progress to that. And then you move from being a grump to somebody who can catch themselves when they're in an irritable mood. All right, I'm irritable. Do you know how useful it is when you tell someone I'm battling an irritable mood? That is, that is just, that is such a helpful practice. I, I recommend it. Not that I'd know anything about it, but I recommend it. Um, so you become a person who moves from battling and from being a complete misanthrope to a grump to someone who catches themselves when they're irritable to then a person who confesses and repents of their irritable mood and intercepts it and puts on a thankful, positive, and loving spirit. There's, there's a train there. Um, there there's, there's a progression. And it is like walking icy stairs with a yo-yo. It's, you're, you're, at times going to slip. So you move from a person who says, hey, you know what? I've been raising my voice too much at my children. You move from a person who does that to a person who catches yourself and apologizes and tells your children, if I do that again, call me out. Now, that's a good power move. Apologize to your children and ask them to call you out. They love it. Oh, they love it. Um, they will do it. They will be the most faithful caller-outer of anyone. <laughs> and then transform, see Christ transform you to a person who mostly affirms, but who, when needed to, lovingly coaches your children. That, that's the transformation that comes from a person who is walking in dependence and humility in the gospel. The righteous person is not the person who has it all together. Uh, let me just ask you what I, I heard a friend ask one time. They said, how many times, if, if, if the standard for your life and mine is to be absolutely Christ-like, and this is, the, this is the template that we're chasing after, how many times in our daily life then sh do we need to change course and acknowledge our sin in the midst of that? <laughs> I heard somebody say 100. Who could argue with that? But let's say then, then, okay, but then how many times have we actually repented to God or to someone, you know, on the, ver on the, on the horizontal that we've come into contact with? And, and I'd say a 10-time minimum would probably be what it takes to somebody who is really serious about discipleship. And discipleship is a person who says, 
The most important thing to me is living the life that Jesus wants me to live. So, so the person who lives that way repents more, not because they're beating themselves up and pulling themselves down on the ground, but they are allowing, repentance is allowing Jesus to beautify our souls. That's what it is. And it begins with acknowledging blemish. <laughs> Uh, and so the person who's closest to Christ is the person who calls out to Christ the most. This is why the gospel is so precious because if you understand the gospel, that Christ gave himself for you when you did not deserve it, gave you the opposite of what you deserve, put, your, put himself in your place to take what you deserve to put you in his place. This is the gospel. It frees you so that when you experience defeat, relapse, discouragement, you can't hate yourself because you know that he doesn't hate you. He gave himself for you. And when you, so when you fail, you can't get depressed. But when you succeed, you can't become prideful because you realize this victory, who will give me victory, Paul says. This victory comes to you through Jesus. And so it fills you with a kind of sweetness of humility and praise that can, yes, look at your neighbor and say, they're doing even better than I am in so many of these ways. Um, but my path is in Christ. And, and so that's the culture of recovery that says virtually, it doesn't really matter what your hurt, habit, hang-up is. They are meant to be actually tools. Our awareness of those things is meant to be tools that lead us on to Christ. And let me just commend to you, pick one area and be zero tolerance about it in the next week, and then maybe you decide that one's gonna be my one for the month, and then continue on, because here's the reality. The Holy Spirit blows up compartments. You cannot just say, I am going to pursue one of the fruits of the Spirit. By the way, Paul doesn't use the word fruits. He looks at them like a cluster of grapes, the fruit of. So you get all of them, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. All of them have to come together. So if you say, look, okay, if someone's pointed out to you, hey, you know, how about more gentleness or patience or whatever, you, if you pursue one of those and you say, I am really going to bring it to the cross every time I'm impatient uh, and I'm going to ask God to help me, then if you do that, you will also become more gentle. You will become more joyful. <laughs> you will become more filled with self-control. You cannot put the Holy Spirit in a compartment uh, because you were opening yourself up not to a principle that applies to one thing, but you were opening your soul up to a person, to the sway of the Spirit of God, who, who is going to take access to all of that. And, and this is how it keeps the gospel central. Again, this is why Paul doesn't, he's, he's not just giving us principles, he's offering, he's calling us to yield ourselves up to Jesus and to acknowledge our need and to let him in. I want to close with a story, and I, I tell you this story because a, a few of you may know, this, this week we lost a very, very dear friend, one of the most godly, Christ-passionate people uh, that we've been blessed to know. His wife was, uh, is Liz's, absolutely one of her best friends, and um, he was just one of these understated people, but who made a difference when he was in the room. And one of the things about him that I said at his funeral is that um, one of the differences he made in the room, and before I even knew who he was, um, whenever I would preach those points of the sermon and like the gospel, the sweetness of the gospel would just start to break open. And it, you know, it, it's not the preacher passionate because he's denouncing sin or he's proclaiming the truth, but like the gospel sweet, he would just radiate. He would just radiate joy. 
And I remember one particular sermon that I was preaching and I shared this testimony. And I just, just wanna close with this, this story that a pastor told that I relate to. I could almost have told this story, but it's not my story, it's another pastor. And I remember in particular, he was radiating, but also I believe there were tears in his eyes. And his, his battles ended last week after a difficult and long-term illness. But I really believe that the, the battle of recovery is, is primarily the battle for the affections of our hearts and that when we love Christ and love the gospel and are passionate about that, it has this powerful way of dis- displacing the old trajectory of things in our lives with the narrative of Jesus. And here's the story I shared. This was from a pastor who said this, and I've been in this place before. He said, this pastor said, I went to court this morning with a family to see what would be the outcome for a hearing involving their son who had a string of DUIs and now was found again to having been pulled over driving under the influence. And as I spent hours there the whole day watching uh, the whole proceedings of the court, the judge said, uh, this case is gonna be continued at a later date and pushed it to another date. The parents of this young man apologized for taking me when no outcome occurred. And I told them, I said, it's not a problem because I always find it interesting to be in court because you're able to watch the Parade of the Broken. And as soon as I said Parade of the Broken, I had to kind of apologize. I said, I I didn't mean that in a harsh or condescending way at all. It it is what it is. When you go to court, um, you've got broken people standing before a judge asking for mercy and hoping they get it. And and there's no place to hide. And everybody in the courtroom knows exactly why you're there. The charge is read for everybody in public. Everybody knows what you've done. And for all the dealing that goes on between the prosecutors and, and the defense, courtrooms are brutally honest places. And and it's it's not the only place, though, to see the parade of broken people. <laughs> the other place to see the parade of broken people is at church. At our church at CLC. The only difference between church and a courtroom where everybody is coming in with some kind of guilty description is that um, church services are not often as brutally honest as the courtroom. (laughs) Churches can be places we hide. Our brokenness is undercover. We can be ashamed and would prefer that nobody really know the real condition of our souls because we don't even really want to know the condition of our souls. Depravity scares us when it should free us. And I'm becoming more and more convinced of the depths of my own depravity than believing the lie that life is a story about me or what I need is this life of endless pleasure when my life is still assaulted with coveting, envying, slothfulness, lusting, needing forgiveness, not just as a spot remover, but as a continual bleaching bath from which I never emerge. As C.S. Lewis said, I've never had a thoughtful, a, a selfless thought since I was born. But he says, there was a time when this kind of awareness would send me into a funk of discouragement of the worst kind. And it wants to push me that way, but now I'm more willing to be part of a joyful parade when I'm aware of my need. And that parade is the parade of Christians who confronted with their sin, march to Christ, carry the banner even of their sins and say, put me on a float. 
Put me down a main street to be gawked at. The only thing I need to know is that at the end of the long parade of the broken comes the broken one, Jesus, who is bruised for my iniquities. And there's a song that captures this. And this song, it's years old, but it's called He Will Come by Watermark, and it describes redemption this way. It it describes, in a sense, like, I love that we come forward for for the Lord's table. We're going to be doing that next week. And and let's just think of that that image of coming forward to take the broken body and and the cup, um, the body and blood of Jesus. And, And as we come forward, we're the parade of the broken, and, he, and it's kind of like in heaven, you know, it describes um, receiving the robe of righteousness and the clean robe. Well, the lyrics of this song by Watermark say this. It says, he will come, Jesus will come. He will remove the flaming garment, place it on the lowest harlot, and we all will sing his face. This, this is what we are doing at the communion table. We come with our soiled garments and, and we, with the upward look of faith to Jesus and his completed work of the cross. He removes our soiled, dingy garments, soiled with sin, and he places upon us a flamingly white, holy garment around us. This is the parade of us as believers who are walking with Christ, who are seriously doing our best to serve him and yet finding that we're in fits and starts and relapses. And yet in the midst of that, God is bringing us on an upward path, not one of just more and more victory and less sin, but more likeness to Christ in the whole walk of life. It's a place where the cross brings us where honesty does not scare us, but grace still astonishes us. And so the lyrics of this song go on. It says, he softens all that's hardened, changes deserts into gardens, breaks the chambers of our darkness and will all be overwhelmed as my scars will turn to fountains and my valleys turn to mountains and we all will see his face. That's, that's our possession as believers. We're not fighting for the victory. We're fighting from victory. The outcome is certain. And we're walking and being changed from one degree of glory, but can continually say, and may God make us hair trigger ready to say, when the battle gets the fiercest for us, in something we need to, we know that Christ would change. May we be quick to say, thanks be to God who gives me the victory through Jesus Christ. We've had an intervention. The only intervention that really matters, the intervention of Jesus, and he has prevailed. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this honest teaching from Romans 7 from your servant Paul. Lord, so many things have changed in 2,000 years, but this dynamic has not changed, and we are so thankful We are so thankful for the dynamic of the gospel, the understanding that Jesus is for us, not against us, and did everything that needed to be done to remove our debt of sin, and has done it. We thank you for what that proclamation continues to set free in us as individuals, how it changes our church life, how it can bring us and yield to us that place of greater and greater honesty that doesn't fear honesty 
and also greater and greater hopefulness. Hopefulness and honesty, Lord. May we receive that in our lives. May you, Lord, give encouragement to any who are in despair over changes they want to see and have the changes have eluded them. May you give humility and practical grace to all of us that we might pursue you. And may you make us truly that, that church that is a safe home for each person in this battle. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Worship with us. The one that's worthy of it all, we will sing of. He has made us worthy in order to worship him. So we'll just sing his praises. Yeah.
Such good news. Isaiah 53 says that Jesus will see the suffering of his soul and be satisfied uh, because that promise he's made for us to be whole will be fulfilled. So I invite you, uh, linger with us, enjoy some snow cones, and find out more about El Centro. If you're not aware of that awesome ministry that we partner with, uh, make that, uh, catch up with that. Uh, And lift up your hearts and receive this blessing from 1 Thessalonians 5. Now may the God of peace sanctify you, make you like Jesus, sanctify you through and through. Body, soul, and spirit, may he do this. Faithful is the one who calls you and he will bring it to pass through Christ our Lord. Amen. And just a reminder, snow cones are not this week. They're oh. on the 11th, but come with us and pray after. Sorry, Sorry. I gave special there's promotion. No snow cones, but there's prayer. Thank you. There important. is prayer in the parking lot <laughs> for the transition. Thank you so much. <laughs> That's why we...